Hello, 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 and welcome back to the bonus episode of Me and My Friend Pete, where we prove there's beauty in every comic story ever created, or at least in every story in my own personal collection. The outlaw Josie Wales once said, Kansas was all golden and smelled like sunshine. But we're about to find out for ourselves. We've got Superman Volume 2, Number 8, We Got Time, We Got Eyes, so can I get a spotlight please on the world's most famous illegal immigrant, the last son of Krypton, the man of steel, ladies and gents, there is only one, often imitated, never duplicated, Superman. Superman was created by writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Shuster and first appeared in Action Comics Number 1 in June of 1938. Superman's origin story, after all these years, after all the heroes that burst onto the scene, is still one of the best in comic book history and doesn't deviate too much from the original. Superman was born Kal-El in a solar system orbiting a red sun on the planet Krypton to Lara and Jor-El, his mother and father respectively. Jor-El, being one of Krypton's foremost scientists, discovered the planet was doomed. The radioactivity at its core had become unstable and the planet was now a ticking time bomb. Jor-El took this information to Krypton's High Council, no relation, but they did not heed his warning. Sound familiar? All the years that collectively scientists have been saying we are burning this planet up and we refuse to heed their warnings. Realizing there was nothing they could do for the planet of Krypton, Lara and Jor-El decided to send their infant child, Kal-El, into the universe in a prototype rocket that Jor-El had built. They get Kal-El into the shuttle as Krypton is crumbling around them, Lara places what is essentially a USB containing the history of Krypton into the rocket with the infant child, and Jor-El, while searching on his computer for a place to send his son, spots a tiny blue planet circling a yellow star. Jor-El realizes that if the shuttle survives the journey, this yellow star will give his infant powers that will make him far stronger than a normal man. This planet, of course, was Earth, and with Krypton exploding, they kissed their baby boy goodbye and launched him into the stars. And personally, I think there's a beautiful lesson in that about letting go of people you love if holding on will hurt them. Sometimes we have to let them go. Sometimes we have to let them leave the nest. And a lot of the times we have to let them go and leave the nest because if we don't, it'll be detrimental to who they are. So shout outs to Lara. Shout outs to Jor-El making the hard decision. So Krypton explodes. Kal-El rockets across the universe and crashes on this blue planet in a field. This is, of course, Earth and not just any part of the Earth a field in Smallville, Kansas. In this field, he's found by the two most salt-of-the-earth people outside of Forest Hills, Queens, Martha and Jonathan Kent, also known as Mon Pa Kent, respectively. They're local farmers, they adopt the child, and they raise him as their own. They name him Clark Joseph Kent. As Jor-El guessed they would, Clark's abilities grew under this yellow sun, making him extremely powerful from a very young age. But what's powerful? What's power? I'll tell you what power is because Superman has them all. Flight, super speed, super strength, super hearing, freezing breath. His lung capacity? He can travel vast distances through space off of one deep breath. He has x-ray vision, he has heat vision, he has telescopic vision, and in one Teen Titan story, he even tells Superboy that he can see our souls. With all these powers, Soup's only real weaknesses that have stood the test of time are kryptonite, which are radioactive chunks of his dead homeworld, magic, and he can't see through lead. So if you're not lead-covered kryptonite, shout out to Metallo, you might want to talk it out with the homie first. But it was his adopted parents who gave Clark his real powers. Compassion, kindness, empathy, selflessness, and a willingness to stand up for people and use his great power with great responsibility. Decades before Spidey even had the idea, decades before Uncle Ben had the idea, Ma and Pa Kent had the idea, and they instilled it in a young Clark Kent. Proof that whether it's Kansas or Queens, nurturing matters just as much as nature, it isn't an either-or. Fearing governments would want to cut Clark open and experiment on him, Ma and Pa Kent made him keep his power secret from the general public, and I think it was absolutely a smart call. Governments, especially my own, I'm an American, have not proven they will act responsibly with great power or respectfully to immigrants and make no mistake, Clark is an illegal alien with great power. So Clark listens, he hides his powers, he keeps his gifts hidden except for a couple of people who know who he is inside and out. And when he graduates high school, he takes a seven year odyssey around the world to learn what's what, to figure out what he's gonna do with his life and to find out how he can be of best service with these powers. And once he returned, he had one goal in mind, to help. Where he could, 
when he could. He decided to take a reporting job in Metropolis, the largest city in the DC universe, so he could always know where and when he would be needed. So as a journalist, news hits journalists first. And since Clark is in the room when it happens, he can always be out of the room to go help. It's genius. Creating a costume using the fabrics that were left over in his rocket ship, he sprang onto the scene and the world's greatest superhero was born. Fun fact, the S symbol on his chest does not stand for Superman. Lois called him Superman upon first meeting him, but that is not what the S symbol on his chest represents. That symbol on his chest is the Kryptonian symbol for hope. So he didn't burst onto the scene calling himself Superman. Now what has Supes done in his time as a hero? Superman is a founding member of the Justice League of America and an inspiration to superheroes and regular folks the world over as a symbol of truth and justice in the DC universe and here in our own real world. His legacy extended well past his own time on Earth, reaching as far as the 31st century, where many people of the time adopted a non-religious belief called the spirit of the last son. These people do their best to follow the example set by the illegal immigrant boy who grew to be the world's champion. Immigrants. We get the job done. Shout out to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I've included Essential Superman storylines in the show notes. Please take a look at them and give Superman a try if you haven't. So that's a little bit about the Man of Steel. Now, since we're already in the 31st century, I think it's the perfect time for our second spotlight. This one is on the Team Defenders of Tomorrow, the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superheroes is a team of superpowered people, both Earthlings and Offworlders, who have dedicated their lives to defending the United Planets, which is essentially the 31st century equivalent of the United Nations. The Legion was founded by Rock Crin of Brawl, codenamed Cosmic Boy. Fun fact, his name was given to him by his planet's people because of his skill in a planetary game called Magnoball, essentially what football is here on Earth. Football, soccer, not American football. The next founding member is Emra Ardeen, codenamed Saturn Girl. She's from Titan, a moon of Saturn, so she may be related to Marvel's Thanos, who is also from Titan. She may be a second cousin once removed, who knows? And finally, we have Garth Rands, codenamed Livewire or Lightning Lad, and Garth Rands is from Winath. So these three, whether by the cosmic randomness of the universe or destiny, saved the life of a philanthropist named RJ Brand from an assassination attempt. Brand was a major player in the founding of the United Planets and realizing this coalition would need protection in the future, decided to use his vast wealth to fund the Legion of Superheroes. And when DC says Legion, they mean it, boasting rosters at times upwards of 20 members. The most notable members are Apparition, Brainiac 5.1, Chameleon, Chuck Tane, Cosmic Boy, Dragon Mage, Element Lad, Pharaoh, Gates, Gear, Inferno, Invisible Kid, Karate Kid, Kid Quantum 1, Kid Quantum 2, Kinetics, Leviathan, Livewire, also known as Lightning Lad, Magno, Monel, Monstrous, Miza, Particon, Radeon, Saturn Girl, Sensor, Shikari, Siobhan Aaron, Sister Andromeda, Spark, Starboy, Superboy, Thunder, Timberwolf, Triad, Ultra Boy, Umbra, Violet, Wildfire, Excess, and Supergirl, to name a few. Whew. Legion. My favorite iteration of the team was the three-boot continuity from 2004 to 2009. That team focused a lot on social justice reform during their time. They had these amazing galaxy-spanning battles, and after issue 15, had Supergirl, who was so hot right then, become the leader of the team. I have most of the issues of that 50-issue run, and a lot of my excitement for doing me and my friend Pete is knowing I'll get to jump back into those stories someday. My favorite Legion members all time are Ultra Boy. He has all of Soup's powers, but he can only use one at a time. Invisible Kid, who can become invisible completely. Not only looking right at him, he won't show up on thermal imaging, he won't show up on x-ray imaging, he won't show up in neon light. When iKid goes invisible, it's lights out. That's it. You can't see him. And finally, Triplicate Girl, also known as Triad, who can split into three different versions of herself, each having their own autonomy. Her origin story in Legion of Superheroes Volume 5, Number 3, is my favorite Legion story of all time. I've added their key storylines in the show notes. Okay, so you got a little bit about soups. You got a little about the Legion of Superheroes. Let's not beat around the bush any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give to you Superman Volume 2, number 8, Future Shock. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. So first things first, let's get into the story details. Superman number 8's cover, art, and story were all done by the king of comic book multitasking and one of my favorite artists of all time, Mr. John Byrne. The inker of this issue was Carl Kessel. 
Coloring was done by Tom Ziuko. Lettering was done by John Costanza. And the editors on this story are Michael Carlin and Andrew Helfer. I think it's important to repeat that Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster just because for so many years they weren't given the credit they deserved by DC Comics for creating the Man of Steel because of corporate greed. I'm just going to sit that there. Let's get into it. This cover is an homage to the Fantastic Four's cover of issue 249, which was also drawn by John Burns. And on this cover, we see Superman. He's suited. He's booted. He's in his red and blue. His cape's blowing to the right of the comic in the breeze. He's standing on a pile of rubble. With his right hand, he's holding up a gray-skinned, rock-looking man who's wearing blue and yellow shorts, yellow wristbands, and blue boots. This is Block, one of the Legion of Superheroes' strongmen. He's got super strength, he can increase his mass, and he has durability. None of it's done him any good because he is splayed out above Soup's on his hand, unconscious. In Soup's left hand, he's holding a green-skinned, blonde-haired man who has on a purple jumpsuit, yellow belt, and boots. This is Brainiac 5.1, or Brainy. Brainy is a super genius and usually comes up with plans and equipment to make the Legion's lives easier. Brainy uses a powerful force field that he keeps in his belt and controls with his mind. He's unconscious on his knees, and is only being held up by soups. In the background, on top of the rubble, we have Sunboy and Invisible Kid, and they're both unconscious. Sunboy's wearing a red shirt with yellow sleeves, red gloves, there's a sun at the center of his chest, he's got on yellow superhero tights, red spandex, and yellow boots. He's a redhead, so it all works. Sunboy's powers are heat and light generation, and immunity to heat and radiation. And finally, we have Invisible Kid, forever immortalized right here as the first black character on me and my friend Pete and he's unconscious as well on the rubble. He's got a yellow jumpsuit on, much like Uma Thurman's Kill Bill outfit. He's got an afro with a shock of white running through it because afros are the hairstyle of the 31st century for black men. iKid is also a genius level intellect on par with Brainiac 5.1, but all their powers mean diddly because Soups is in control here. And that's the cover. Soups has wrecked the Legion of Superheroes before we've even opened one page. Finally, on the bottom left of this cover, we have a box asking who watches the Watchmen. So this is a great moment in history for DC Comics as Watchmen will go on to become one of the most celebrated comic book stories of all time. If you have never read Watchmen, check it out. So much of what's happening in the world today can be referenced through that comic. We turn a page one and it's a beautifully drawn one page spread. We're in small county, Kansas. It's the first week of spring and we have Lana Lang, one of Superman's childhood friends and first love interest sitting on a jet of rock. Shouts out to Kristen Crook, who played Lana Lang in the Smallville TV show. So Lana's got red hair, she's wearing a yellow shirt with the sleeves rolled up, she's got on red short shorts, and a pair of Keds with a pair of orange 80s leg warmer socks climbing up her legs. She's got her hand on her chin and she's watching Clark adoringly. She says no matter how much she sees Clark using his powers, after all these years, she never gets used to it that it still takes her breath away. And in the foreground, we see what's taking her breath away. Clark's agreeing with her. He's got his glasses on, he's got his S-curl working, he's got on his Steve Jobs blues and a belt with either his initials or Calvin Klein's on the buckle. I don't think Clark is self-absorbed enough to have his own initials on his belt, so I'm chalking it up to style. Shout out to Calvin Klein. And Clark's got his t-shirt off, his chest is covered in hair, his forearms too, and he is covered in muscles. And by himself, he is ripping a giant tree from the ground, from the roots, without breaking a sweat. So Lana's watching him pull this tree out of the ground, and Clark's saying it can be a little bit heady to be able to do all these things that other people can't do. We turn the page, and Lana's saying she'll bet it is. Clark throws a giant tree over his shoulder, and Lana says she'll never get used to those glasses, though, because coming up in Smallville, Clark never wore glasses, and since he didn't, she asked if he has to wear them around her. And Clark says no. He says it's a force of habit, and now he just feels strange without them, but he has to take them off anyway because he has to use his heat vision to slice up this giant tree that he's just ripped out of the ground. And we see him do so. We see him cut the tree into equal-sized stakes, and using his super speed and strength, he spikes the stakes into the ground, each a few feet apart from each other. So he's building a fence for Lana at super speed, but as he does, he has an odd feeling that his heat vision wasn't going to switch off just now while he was cutting the tree. It worries him, but he puts it out of his mind because it did shut off, and as long as Clark can control his powers, Clark doesn't worry about his power. We have someone shout from off panel, hello. We get to page three and we see the person saying hello was Ma Kent. She's got a gray jacket on, she's got an orange and yellow plaid skirt on, she's wearing a pink sweater, she's got glasses, and she's with Pa Kent. He's wearing a fedora, he's got on a green jacket, he's got a red sweater and brown pants, and he's holding a picnic basket. So Lana asks what they're doing here, and salt of the earth that they are, they say it's past noon, so they wanted to come see if Clark and Lana were hungry. And these are the type of people Ma and Pa Kent are. These are the type of people who raised Clark Kent. You've been out there working all day, we're going to bring you some food, because we think you're hungry. 
So Clark, using his X-Revision to see through the picnic basket, says he's not really hungry, but he's not going to pass up a slice or six of his mama's rhubarb pie. If it's your mama's cooking, you don't pass up nothing that comes out your mama's stove. Right? I don't know if you've ever seen Martin, but have you ever seen what happens when Gina messes around with Martin's mama's biscuits? Where's Martin's mama's biscuits? And I'm sure Superman, Clark Kent must feel the exact same way about his mama's rhubarb pie. Don't touch his mama rhubarb pie. And Ma Kent, she says she meant that to be a surprise, but if she really did, she should have wrapped it up in lead because Clark can't see through lead. But just bring in a wicker picnic basket, you gotta know he's gonna look through that basket. So they all have a picnic. Pa's lounging on his side. He's eating a sandwich. Lana's sipping a soda. Clark's on slice six of the rhubarb pie. And Pa Kent says, drawing a look of worry from Ma, Glad to see you've got your appetite back, son. You were in pretty rough shape when you arrived yesterday. Because of course... If you bring a picnic basket, you have to be Yogi Bear. And Clark responds, he says he's never been as worn out as he was after his fight with Rampage. And we get a little dialogue box, and this fight took place last issue, and Rampage really put him through it. Clark says absorbing all that energy from her to stop her took a lot out of him. While he's saying this, he whips his head around, his super hearing has alerted him to something we can't see, and in the final panel, he's hopping up, Lana looks surprised, Ma Kent looks surprised, and Clark's on the move. He's saying something's happening on the other side of Smallville, and it looks like a job for... We turn to page four and we get Superman, and it's a beautiful shot of him changing into his costume as he flies towards the center of the panel, so now Superman is suited and booted. He says whatever he heard came from the direction of the old Simonson quarry, and he says the quarry has been derelict for 20 years. He says the quarry's been derelict for so long, he used to come here when he was a kid to test out his powers. And it's this great panel. We have a sky view, us looking down on suits as he flies down towards this quarry. There's an old mill house to the right, a couple of smokestacks, some abandoned equipment, there's slabs of rock, there's water, there's a lot of greenery growing out of the ground. All around it, it's surrounded by trees. And Soups is asking himself, where are the new arrivals? So we move on to the next page and we get our first ad. And to me, this ad is a little bit problematic. It's for MPC model cars, and it's a boy surrounded by three girls, blonde, brunette, redhead, and he's got a model car on the table. He's got some pencil, he's got some glue, and these girls are just enamored with the, with his model car. I think the premise of this ad is to convince boys that girls will like them because of the model cars they build, which seems to me like conditioning for the idea of girls liking boys because of the cars they drive. And a tagline for this doesn't make it any better. It says, just like the real thing, only smaller. I don't like this ad. We turn a page and we get another ad. This time it's for Tang, the astronaut's orange powder drink. I love this ad. I don't love Tang. It always made my jaws lock up when I would drink it as a kid. But the ad is a kid in all types of Tang swag. He's got on a t-shirt. He's got on a wristband. He's got on a Tang radio. He's got on Tang suspenders. He's got a Tang pocket light hanging out of his pocket. He's got on a Tang pocket watch. He's got on a Tang headband. And to finish off his cool, get that boy a pair of Tang sunglasses. So the best part for me about this over-the-top display is the kid looks just like Bud Bundy from Married with Children. One of my favorite Married with Children moments is in an episode when Al Bundy eats a Tang sandwich and he alludes to the fact that the family eats these sandwiches a lot. So I'm convinced this is Budrick Bundy swagged out thanks to all the Tang sandwiches. But back to, we get to page five and Soup spots four beings and two clearly aren't human. This is what he's thinking. But we know them from the cover. We got Block, we got Invisible Kid, we got Sunboy, and we got Brainiac 5.1. And they're standing out of this large transparent bubble. Soup thinks the bubble must be a spaceship and it must be advanced. That's why he didn't spot it coming through the atmosphere. He says he wonders, but we don't see what he wonders. Next panel, we have the Legion, and some boy is asking Brainy why they stopped. They were traveling somewhere. Why did they stop? When all of a sudden, a red beam of energy explodes on the ground in front of him. Brainy pushes Sunboy out of the way. Block looks up. He screams, it's Superboy. Ikeet agrees with him, saying that Superboy must have followed them. Up in the sky above him, Soups has his hand to his temple, and he can't believe his heat vision just activated on its own. So that feeling that he was having earlier while he was making the fence for Lana, it's happened again, and now he couldn't control it. He's just attacked four strangers. But whether Soups can believe it or not, some boy is not having it. Final panel, we see him, he's crouched down, his hands are in front of him, and he's firing a jet of fire up into the air. He says he doesn't know what's gotten into Superboy, but Superboy's messed with the Legion, so he's bitten off more than he can chew. We get to page six, and I want to take a moment to throw kudos to colorist Tom Ziuko because he is killing it with the lighting in these action scenes. In this shot of Sunboy, this entire panel is dominated with yellow and orange, and if your name is Sunboy, I would expect things to be just as bright when you turn up. Crushing it, Ziuko. You're crushing it. So we get to page six, and we have Soups. He's flying out of the way of the blast, and again, great coloring. And Superman is shades of red and black, and there's orange fire behind him, and he's thinking the heat from this being's fire is like flying too close to the sun. 
The sun. He's wondering who these beings are because no one he knows has power like this. Meanwhile, back on the ground, Brainy is telling some boy to hold on. He's saying Superboy has been their ally for years, that there has to be some logical explanation for all of this. Some boy's hands are still up. He's not convinced. He tells Brainy that Pete Ross said Superboy attacked other Legion members and maybe destroyed them. So while these two are flapping their gums, Block rips a giant, massive, gargantuan, awesome hunk of limestone from the earth with his bare hands. That tree that Clark just pulled up, it's nothing in comparison to this block of limestone that Block has just ripped from the ground. And he's saying Superboy must have followed them through time and they need to pay attention because Superboy is circling back around. He hurls this mountain of limestone at Superman. We move on to page 7 and we see this giant chunk of limestone hurtling through the air towards Supes. And his first instinct is to dodge it, but he thinks that if he does, the block will land in the middle of Smallville. So Superman is constantly thinking of others. Superman is constantly trying to find a way to contain the fight and make sure it does not spill out and hurt innocent people. This is not a new thing for Superman. His selflessness knows no bounds. If you've ever read The Death of Superman, his fight with Doomsday, he did his best to keep it away from other people. The most dramatic part of that comic is when Doomsday reaches Metropolis and that's when Superman really loses it. But I'm getting sidetracked, let's get back to it. Superman's not taking that chance of letting that limestone hit Central Smallville, so he's not gonna dodge it. With one mighty punch, he hits this limestone and it explodes into a million little limestone pieces. So now limestone is raining all down on this quarry. While this rock is raining down, the Legion, led by Sunboy, take this moment to fly up and meet Supes. Sunboy saying they have to press the advantage. In the final panel, we see all five beings in the sky. The Legion is flying up towards Supes to meet him in combat. And Supes is amazed that they can all fly. One of the tricks, one of the best perks of being a Legion of Superheroes member is the flight ring. A Legion of Superheroes flight ring helps them fly, helps them communicate in foreign languages, both Earth and intergalactic that they don't speak. So it's a universal translator in a very real sense. And it's a communicator. They use it to communicate with each other. So these flight rings are hugely advanced and one of the coolest gadgets in all of comic books. But Supes doesn't know that that's the reason they can all fly. Supes does know that they're trying to bracket him as he calls it, which is also Kettling. If you're familiar with police tactics during the protest over George Floyd's unjust murder, Kettling, bracketing are essentially a tactic to surround and pin in your opponent. Here in NYC, for example, the police use bracketing to trap protesters on certain blocks and streets and unload it on them with tear gas and rubber bullets. So it's an effective measure when you have the firepower and the numbers to use it. And in the case of my city, and in the case of 2020, it was used to assault people exercising their constitutional rights. But Soups isn't worried. We turn the page and we're on the infinity page. We get to page eight. In the first panel, we have Invisible Kid flying past Soups on his right. So they're all still in the sky and Invisible Kid had just shot past Superman to the right. Soups is thinking he already knows what Block and Sunboy can do. So he's really more concerned about iKid and Brainy. And he thinks, all right, I know what the big guy in the redhead can do. That leaves two unaccounted for. The Black Kid seems to be swinging in the closest. So Soups thinks this and I think it's great. I think it's great Superman has no qualms as a white man calling a person what they are. One of the strangest arguments to me by people when trying to prove they aren't racist is the phrase, I don't see color. In many ways that phrase is problematic, but the biggest way is it erases our differences and without the acknowledgement of our differences, I don't believe we will ever truly come together as a people on a global scale. Celebrate differences in skin, in language, in experiences. Saying you don't see color while simultaneously calling non-white people people of color seems to me to be a microaggression that lends itself to the erasure of those differences under the false pretense of equality. And there's air quotes around that equality. I'm just gonna leave that there. Back to Soups is planning his counterattack against iKid in the following panel, but before he can finish his thought, iKid vanishes. Block taking advantage of Superman's confusion slams into Soups from behind, and he's saying, you are slipping, Superboy, or did you forget why Jacques is called the Invisible Kid? And we get this great sound effect written out behind them, Woom! That mixed with the look of pain on Soup's face lets me know Soup's has just been hammered. And even through his pain, he's wondering what this being just called him. We get an ad on the opposite page, and this one is for OxyClean, the premier face and acne cleanser of the 80s and 90s. This ad's talking about paperbackne, the kind of acne you'd like to hide behind a book. It's talking about opposites, two matching pimples, one on each cheek. Fun story about pimples. As a kid from like 16 until like 25, I would get the same pimple on my nose over and over. And I would pop that pimple every time it emerged once every year as it was wont to do. 
until one day I popped it, it scabbed over, and now I have the most beautiful, beautiful beauty mark on my nose. And I'm saying all that to say, your scars make you beautiful. So this OxyClean, they're pumping Oxy10, Oxy10 Cover, Oxy5, and Oxy10 Wash. They're not done, they're also pumping OxyClean medicated pads, cleanser, soap, and scrub. Nothing that they sell you will cure that acne. Only thing you can do is let time handle it. It's a part of your life, it's a growing phase. Your hormones are out of control. You don't have to embrace it, but you really shouldn't try to fight against it. We turn the page, it's another ad. This time it's for Cox, which is a model plane company, and they're pitching a model of an SBX Stealth Bomber. And I'm wondering if this SBX Stealth Bomber flies. It looks beautiful. So we get to page nine, and the panel design on page nine is awesome. I love it. When I was younger, it always made me feel like I mastered reading comics because there are four panels on this page, but they don't go right to left, top to bottom, as most comic book pages do. Using the word balloons as a guide, we know that the upper middle panel is first, then the one to its right is second, then the one to its left is the final panel. So it's all jumbled up. But in the first panel, right in my mind, in the first panel, we see a streak of air and it's smashing into the abandoned factory of the quarry through a skylight. We don't see Block, but we hear him shout. And he says, now it is time we finish this. So he's hammered troops in the back and pushed them through the skylight. Meanwhile, Brainy's still in the air. He's watching this unfold and he says he can feel that the Legion is making a mistake. But some boy's not trying to hear that. He's flying down, he's following Block on the attack, and he's screaming that Kyle Elm made a mistake. The final panel, we see some boy burst into the factory. He's lit up, he's covered in flames, and he's pissed. He screams, I'm gonna help Block beat the stuffing out of his Kryptonian hive. Cause some boy's obviously a Midwesterner, so he got a little twang. Meanwhile, Soups, Pinned down in Block's hold on a pile of destroyed machinery, he's throwing a right hook towards Block's jaw, and he's still stuck on the fact that these strangers are calling him Superboy. We turn the page and we see Superman is not going to sit around and think about it. He can punch and chew bubblegum at the same time, and he connects with that right hook, sending Block reeling. Superman thinks to himself he met someone named Superboy a few months ago, and we get a little caption box telling us this took place during Crisis on Infinite Earths. Crisis on Infinite Earths is one of the most popular DC comic stories of all time. It's worth a read. Anyway, he's saying he met that Superboy there. But Soups doesn't think that this Superboy is the same as the one that these strangers are talking about. Meanwhile, Block has to be pretty strong because while he's getting chin checked, he's thinking that Superman isn't as strong as he remembers. So whoever this Superboy is that the Legion keeps referring to, he must be a powerhouse if Superman doesn't pack a punch like he does. So while Soups and Block are tussling, some boy flies above them. He's shouting to Block to get clear because he's about to unleash a full intensity blast. Block breaks left, Soup breaks right, the panel follows Soups, and we see some boy's hand wrapped in flames shooting a blast at Soups. He thinks the blast can stun him, but Soups is faster than a speeding bullet, and he reminds some boy of this with a taunt. <laughs> he calls Sunboy Curly Locks. Now, one of my favorite things about Superman is that his shit talk is all for shit. He is a horrible, horrible smack talker. But you don't have to be good at talking smack if you can smack someone's head off. The final panel on this page, Superman's flying above and towards Sunboy and telling himself to be careful because the blast Sunboy just shot was stronger than the first and he doesn't know if his invulnerability can handle it. And again, this is another thing that makes Superman so great. This is Superman at his best. Just because I'm strong, that doesn't mean I'm gonna let you knock me around. All this is happening and Superman notices that Sunboy seems weakened after that blast and Superman decides to press his advantage. We get to the first panel and Supes is flying towards Sunboy at super speed and he thinks, one tender tap for me, or to finish putting him out. Again, Superman at his best is always trying to use only the force necessary to end the fight. But before he can connect with Sunboy, he smashes into an invisible barrier and bounces back from it, confused, and we get a great sound effect of wong. So Superman's confused, but we see what happened as Sunboy yells that Brainy's deployed one of his force fields and he screams to Block to help him go at their opponent again. So they're about to rush Superman again, but Brainy and Invisible Kid have just landed in the factory and Brainy is saying enough. He says that he was right, whoever this super person is, it isn't the Superboy that they're all afraid of. And in the final panel on this page, we get a great close-up of Superman in profile, his ass curl is blowing in the factory breeze, he has a look of concern on his face, and across from him is Sunboy. And some boy says Brainy's right, and he asks Soups why'd he attack them. And Soups says, It was unintentional, but I don't think I'm the only one who has some explaining to do around here. You claim to know my uniform, but you still fought back as if you were my enemies. Who are you? End quote. I think that's a little bit smug, though. Superman says you saw my uniform, so you should know who I am. Why would you attack me? 
But you attacked first. You're saying it's unintentional, but they didn't attack you. Your heat vision went off. So Superman being a little bit cocky there, and he's demanding to know who they are. We turn the page, and now everyone's cooled down, and they're standing around talking. And Block is asking how can this person be Superman and not know who they are. But Brainy has an answer. Brainy says it is to be expected if his theory is correct. He tells Soups they're the legion of superheroes and that they're from the 31st century and Soups is thunderstruck from the information. Brainy says, I know it's hard to believe, but let me tell you a story. So Brainy starts telling this story and we see a young Clark Kent. He's got the glasses. He's got a yellow sweater over a white button down. He's got his SJBs on, those Steve Jobs blues, and he's walking down the street. And he sees a red-haired kid in a blue suit who waves at him and says hello, but instead of calling him Clark, the kid calls him Superboy. So Clark laughs it off and keeps it pushing. The best way to deal with these things is to ignore them. That's what he thinks. I'm not going to acknowledge this because this person will then know that they're right. The next panel, Clark's donned his Superboy outfit. He's suited and booted, so Superboy's flying over Smallville. And we see another young man, this time with jet black hair. He's got tan pants on. He's got on a tie and an orange jacket. And he calls Superboy, who's flying overhead, Clark Kent. So now Superboy's rattled by this. But he thinks if he doesn't respond, the guy might think he's wrong. So he's gonna stick with the plan of, I'm not saying anything to validate your thought on this. Next we see Superboy, he's landing outside of a church close to a young lady with blonde hair. She's got a white blouse on, she's got a white pencil skirt on, she's got on some blue loafers and some high stockings. And she's telling Superboy to say hello to Ma and Pa Kent for her. So now Superboy is unnerved. He's wondering if everybody knows the truth, that if everybody in Smallville knows that Clark Kent is Superboy. But as a small town kid who knows everyone in town, he should have immediately knew something was up. These are three strangers. If the whole town knew, you can bet they would be stopping by Ma and Pa Kent's house to ask about it. Because it's a well-knit community. Everyone knows everyone. So in the final panel on this page, we see that the three people who approached him are the founding members of the Legion of Hit Superheroes. We've got Lightning Lat, also known as Livewire. He's got on red and yellow with two lightning bolts on his chest, and his name is printed above it. He's the redhead. We have Saturn Girl next to him. She's got on a yellow top blue skirt. Her name's above a picture of Saturn on her chest. And we have Cosmic Boy to her left. And he's got on his purple and black suit. His name is on his chest. There are so many Legion members, they have to wear superhero jerseys with their names on it. It was probably Cosmic Boy's idea being a professional athlete, but I think it works. I don't see why any superhero team with more than eight members does not have superhero jerseys. It seems practical. But back to Cosmic Boy, he's holding a sphere in his hand and he's telling Superboy that they're from the future and they know all about his life and times because of it. Superboy is relieved. He doesn't want people knowing his story. This is a great weight off of his mind. And we get a caption box at the bottom of this panel and it's a historical note. And it says, this sequence is adapted from the story which first appeared in Adventure Comics number 247, April 1958. So we flash forward to the present on page 13 in the first panel. And because Soups has questions, he's holding his hand up at Brainy on the next page. He grants that they know he's Clark Kent, but says he was never called Superboy, so somebody's lying. All right, yes, I am Superman, but I have never gone by Superboy. I took my seven years sabbatical, I went around the world, I hit Metropolis, I became Superman. There's no Superboy, what are you talking about? Brainy says, I know, I know, but bear with me, I'm not done telling my story. We flash back to the past and we see Lightning Lad, we see Cosmic Boy, we see Saturn Girl, and we see Superboy. And they're in a clearing surrounded by tall trees. And the spear Cosmic Boy was holding is now a large ship-sized orb, much like the one the present Legion arrived in in the start of this issue. Lightning Lad, he's asking Superboy to join their crew and come with them to the future. And with no resistance. Superboy says he'll go because things are quiet right now in Smallville. Superboy seems extremely impulsive. They are from the 31st century. 31st century, that's wild. You're gonna leave everything behind, shoot off to the future because everything's quiet right now. Impulsive, I like it, I'm not knocking it. I'm a little bit, I'm a lot impulsive, so I'm not knocking it. Judge not lest ye be judged. In the next panel, we see the time bubble is traveling through the centuries as the Legion tells Soups to hang on. They'll be in the future in no time. And we get this great panel, and apparently time is numbered because as this time capsule moves through space time, we see in the background, 2,500, 2,600, 2,700, 2,800, 2,900. They burst out of the time streams and Superboy cannot believe what he's seeing. Smallville, Kansas is now crammed full of futuristic buildings and skyscrapers and Superboy says that it's become a super city. But the Legion says, calm it down, calm down, hotshot. They tell him that this is still just a small town in the future and they're gonna take him to Metropolis where their base is. And in the final panel, they arrive in Metropolis they're at Legion of Superheroes headquarters, which looks like a yellow and red rocket ship, face down and cut in half with the part that would be the lower half of the rocket facing skyward. 
The four of them are flying towards it, and Cosmic Boy says if Superboy wants to become a member of the group, he has to follow the club rules and prove himself a superhero, which seems like an unnecessary ask. We already know about his feats, so why does the Boy of Steel have to prove himself? And you came to the past to get me, so why do I have to prove myself? It makes me think of Agent J in the first Men in Black movie when he tells K, you know, from the jump, you chose me, so recognize the skill. That's the same situation happening here. Legion of Superheroes, you chose me, so recognize the skills. But Superboy doesn't give it up like that. He doesn't say anything at all. So the Legion tasks Superboy with three tasks. But we turn the page and we see the trials of Superman, and they remind me of the trials of Hercules from Greek lore, only futurized. In the first panel, we see Superboy, he's fighting another Superboy, and we find out that this doppelganger is a robot from a history class that's gone rogue. So Superboy takes care of this rogue Superboy robot. While Supes is handling that, Saturn Girl is doing the job he was tasked with. She's using her telepathy to regain a priceless statue of the unknown spaceman from a sea serpent that looks a lot like what we imagine the Loch Ness Monster to be. Next, we see Superboy in outer space above Earth, and he's catching an antique satellite that sets a crash into Earth. But while he's doing that, we see Cosmic Boy using his own powers over magnetism to have meteors crash into a lake so it'll overflow and put out a nearby forest fire. Next, we see Superboy. He's chasing a giant white alien bird that's escaped from the interplanetary zoo. I wonder what else is in the interplanetary zoo. Probably have the biggest rhinos ever. I love rhinoceroses. I think they're a great communal animal. I think they focus solely on defense. But you mess with the rhino, you get the horn. And I think they're noble creatures. Honestly, if you know me, you know. But again, while Superboy's handling this, a Legion member is handling the task he was originally set out with. On the final panel on this page, we get Lightning Lad. He's in space. He's using his powers of electricity to create a message in the vacuum to a space cruiser, letting the cruiser know that its fuel tank is leaking and it needs to return for repairs. We move on to page 15. In the first panel on page 15, we see Superboy and Cosmic Boy. They're surrounded by Legion members and Cosmic Boy is wearing a scowl. He's pointing a finger at Superboy and he's wagging that finger. He's saying since Supes failed three times, they have to reject his membership. But Supes takes it on the chin. He thinks he's not gonna say why he couldn't be where he was supposed to be because he doesn't wanna sound like he's making excuses. But I want to point out, there's a huge difference between an explanation and an excuse. Superboy doesn't only go out superheroing to join super teams. He's out there helping wherever he's needed. Great power. You already know the rest. So Superboy says their decision is fine and he has no hard feelings. He's ready to go back to the past. But the next panel, we find out through Saturn Girl that all of the delays Superboy faced were planned by the Legion and all part of his initiation into the group. So the crowd behind them was going crazy. They're all cheering. They're led by Lightning Lad, and they're all cheering excitedly. And they're all welcoming, welcoming Superboy into the fold. But if I'm Superboy, I'm wondering why they think it's okay to set up dangerous situations for me to prove myself. There are dangerous situations going on all over the world. We can just go help people, and it would have the same effect of me proving myself to you. But I'm not the Legion of Superheroes head of command. I don't sit at their table. I don't have a flight ring, so I'm not gonna judge. That's how they do it in the 31st century. I respect it. And in the final panel on this page, we get a beautiful shot of the Legion, and it's just a who's who of their roster. We get Dawnstar, so we have our first appearance of an indigenous American on me and my friend Pete. What's up, Dawnstar? We see Monel, he's in his red suit, all of Superman's powers, none of the S curl. We got Timberwolf here, we got Ultra Boy here, we have Chameleon here, we have Night Girl here. We've got all the members who appeared throughout this issue and quite a few more. Remember, this is the Legion of Superheroes and I count no less than 33 members that's including Superboy in this panel. It is a beautiful team shot. All team shots should take a note from John Byrne on this one. So we get to page 16 and now we have Brainy, he's a talking head, and he's explaining the many adventures Superboy has helped him out on. So we see the Legion flying into battle against the Fatal Five, a 31st century group of supervillains slash terrorists. We get a shot of the Legion of Supervillains, which you have to admit isn't a very original name. And we get a great panel of a figure wearing a red hooded robe with one spindly hand on top of a crystal ball with a cosmic gleam in their eye. This is the time trapper and who Brainy thinks is behind all of this confusion. On the next panel, we see Cosmic Boy holding a newspaper with a look of shock on his face and Cosmic Boy's got on a trench coat because when you're going to the past, you do not want to dress like you're from the past. You just want to throw a trench coat on over your futuristic gear and keep it pushing. And that's what Cosmic Boy is about, simplicity. I like Cosmic Boy a lot now that I think about it. And Cosmic Boy, he's holding this newspaper. He has a look of shock on his face and the headline on this newspaper is Space Shuttle Challenger Explodes. 
and the caption box says that this happened in the Cosmic Boy miniseries when he traveled to the 20th century. So Brainy is saying that it was during Cosmic Boy's travels that they learned the Time Trapper was involved. Brainy also says the Legion was trying to travel forward to the end of time where the Time Trapper keeps his citadel, so the Time Trapper is giving me Kang the Conqueror vibes of the Marvel Universe. Shout out to Jonathan Majors. But instead of traveling forward through time, however, we see the time bubble in the final panel on this page, and we see that Smallville church in the background. And in the foreground, we have a shot of a large Superboy billboard. And on this billboard, he's waving, and next to him it says, Welcome to Smallville, home of Superboy. So we know that they went back in time instead of forward. We move to the next page, and we get an ad for Rainbow and Superbubble. Now, I'm not too familiar with Rainbow, but Superbubble was a jawbreaker of a gum. If you've never had one... It came in these blue, yellow, red, and white wrappers. It had this sugary powder on it when you opened the wrapper. It was very sweet, but its flavor only lasted like three minutes. Anything after that, you're just chewing on your own mouth funk. It was a great gum for playing baseball because it cost five cents when I was a kid, so you could really have a wad in your cheek all for a quarter and feel as boss as a major leaguer chewing on snuff. We turn the page and we get another ad for a DC hero named Wild Dog, who from my research seems to be a Midwestern DC version of the Punisher. He's got a great look, he's got on a hockey mask, he has on a blue jersey with yellow trim, and there's a laughing dog on his chest. The laughing dog is red. He has a leather gun holster and he's holding an Uzi. I'm not really a fan of most superheroes who use guns, but it's a great look. I'll, I'll admit it's a great look. So we get to page 17, and the first panel is a picture of Smallville from a bird's eye view. There are cars on the street, there are people milling about, there are people walking their dogs, there's a puddle on the corner. It's a beautiful shot of just everyday life, people just living their lives. And in the caption box above this image, Brainy is saying they didn't think they would ever be able to return to this time because of the Time Trapper's actions. But Cosmic Boy, Ultra Boy, Monel, and Night Girl went out to investigate and were shocked that it was the Smallville they remembered. In the next panel, we see that the Legion has taken to the streets and clothes fitting the time. My man Monel's wearing a tight blue shirt. He's got brown pants on. He's almost a spitting image of soups, like I said, minus the S curl. And he's talking to a police officer who's leaning out of the window of his car in the foreground. And Monel knows this cop. He introduces himself as Bob Cobb and says that he's a friend of the Kents. But this is a small town, so the chief remembers him and says, Yeah, you stayed with them a while back, didn't you? It's nice to see you again. Very small town charm. Smallville is packed with that small town charm. Everybody speaks to everybody. Everybody says hello. Everybody remembers people who come to visit. In the next panel, we see Ultra Boy and Monel. Ultra Boy's wearing a green t-shirt. He's got on his SJBs. He's got brown hair, and he's extending a hand out to Pete Ross. So Pete was mentioned early in this issue. He's one of Soup's longest and closest friends. They grew up together in Smallville. He's got blonde hair and a white button up on. And in the main continuity, I'm not sure if it was reset, but Pete is a politician. He's a former senator, former vice president, and after his president, Lex Luthor, was impeached, he became president for a short while. So Pete has been the most powerful man on the planet outside of his best friend, who is the physical most powerful man on the planet. So anyways, we have Pete Ross here, and Ultra Boy is clapping him on the shoulder, and Monel is shaking his hand, and they're both glad to see him and that everything's all right. And Pete says, yeah, everything's been fine since Superboy saved him from red skies and an energy wall weeks ago. The next panel, we see Monel and the gang, they're visiting Mon Pa Ken at their home, and Mon and Pa Ken are genuinely happy to see them. Pa says they've grown. And I'm sure, right after he was done talking, Ma asked if they'd eaten, and if not, she was going to serve them all rhubarb pie. Why not? Small town hospitality. In the final panel on this page, we snap back to the present, and we get a close-up, and it's Superman's face, and he still doesn't seem to believe Brainy's story. He says it sounds like a Twilight Zone version of his life. He hints at the Red Sky reference Pete made, but doesn't say anything out loud about it. When he does speak, it's only to say that he still doesn't believe their story, and knowing Smallville citizens doesn't mean that the Legion is on the level. He wants real answers, and they still have not provided them. But we get to page 18, and Brady says, Calm down. I'm not done telling the story, fella. Let me pluck this chicken. You just hold the tail. Sheesh. So we're back in the past, and we see Brainy, we see Invisible Kid, we see Block, and we see Sunboy, and they're standing outside of their time bubble in a clearing, and they're all talking. They're chopping it up. Invisible Kid thinks the team is taking a long time, and Sunboy says, Think of the times, the transportation, the communication, all of it's garbage. So they're taking a long time because of the time we're in. And then Brainy adds that they can't use their powers or flight rings out in the open because they don't want to intrude on history. So that also is adding to what's taking them so long to return. And they're talking about Night Girl, Monel, and Ultra Boy, to be sure. So we zoom in on Invisible Kid, Sunboy, and Block. And Invisible Kid is saying, quote, Traveling in time seems too dangerous to me. I recall horrors of the past that were only words in my classroom. Diseases like Black Plague or Smallpox. Insanities like Racial Hatred. 
And I think as a black kid from the future, he would be hyper aware of the ills of the world of the past for his people. And he probably would have no desire to go. So I say shout out to John Byrne because that seems like something a white comic book writer would miss or not comment on. But he puts it on Front Street. He addresses color in this issue twice in very simple ways that mean a lot to me. So see colors and see the ills of the world. Don't run from them. Because whenever I think of time travel stories of black people, I always imagine a large part of it being a nightmare. And a great comic that explores that concept and idea is Kindred by Octavia Butler. She is one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time. Shout out to Octavia Butler. Back to. In response to the Invisible Kid, Block says he doesn't know which of society's past ill seems odder to him. But before he can finish his thought, Brainy says they're getting an emergency signal coming from Cosmic Boy's flight ring and relayed through their time bubble. Brainy says since they sent all of their heavy hitters out into Smallville, this has to be deathly serious. And Brainy's right. None of the Legion that's with him right now are slouches. They all have great power. They all know how to use it. But the three members that they sent into Smallville are on par with Superman as far as strength. Monel is on par with Superman as far as strength. And he doesn't have the weakness of kryptonite. He's just deathly allergic to lead, right? Ultra Boy is on par with Superman one power at a time. Night Girl, in complete darkness, she is on par with Superman. So they've sent all of their heavy hitters and they left one big boy in terms of block, two scientists, and some boy, yeah, some boy's a heavy hitter. We've seen him go at Superman and we've seen Superman scared of it, but he's only one person. And if something has happened to their heavy hitters, some boy is not going to be able to deal with whatever that is. We don't know if any of these Legion members can handle it. And that's what Brainy is saying. We get a close up on Brainy now and Brainy is as thin lipped as they come. He doesn't even have a dip in his upper lip, but he's about to drop his plan. Before he does though, Pete Ross screams for them to run from off panel. And we know it's Pete Ross because Brainy says, huh? Pete Ross. So the final panel on this page, Pete's on his bike and he was zooming because there's dust kicked up on the ground in front of his front tire. He's saying the rest of the Legion went into the Kent house, that he heard a scream, all of them screamed, and no one came out. We move on to page 19, and Pete is distraught in the first panel. He has a look of worry on his face, and he's telling the Legion to get back in their time bubble and get ghosts. And we see Block and Invisible Kid, they're staying back. They don't know if this Pete kid is a racist or not, but some boy and Brainy step forward, and some boy tells Pete to catch his breath and let them know what's going on. Calm down, tell us what we need to do. But Peter's in pure panic mode. He screams, quote, please, if some monster's powerful enough to attack Superboy, Monel, Ultra Boy, and the others, you gotta go get the rest of the Legion. And Brainy agrees with him. He says, you're using your noggin. That's well-reasoned, but you gotta come back with us. But Pete refuses. Pete's no punk. He's gonna go back and he's gonna find out more because nobody suspects him of having any ties to the Legion. So Pete's gonna play spy. Pete, spy. Private Eye Ross. That's who he is now. So we have Brainy, we have Block, we have Invisible Kid, and we have some boy. They are loading up into the time bubble. And some boy says we have to go. At least let's get some space between ourselves and what's going on here so we can try to plan and get ready. Next panel, we see Brainy. He's at the control panels. He says very well. He wishes Pete luck and he tells Pete that he's worthy of being a Legionnaire. And Legionnaires are the universal fan base of the Legion. So Brainy's telling him, you're worthy to be one of our fanatics, basically. I wonder how much of a compliment that is, but Brainiac 5.1 is 4.1 removed from Brainiac. So what are you going to do? You got to do with a little bit of the cockiness. So in the final panel, we see their time bubble flying off in the darkness. It's flying above the trees. And someone screams from inside of the bubble, Brainy, look, it's Superboy. So we turn the page and we see Superboy. He's flying towards the crap and he has a futuristic gun in his hand. It looks like a pistol with a satellite dish surrounding the barrel and he's firing on the time bubble. But Brainy is saying Superboy fired a stasis beam, but luckily they barely escaped. So Superboy fired that beam, but he didn't get him. Nice try, Superboy. You gotta be quicker than that. The next panel, we're back in the present. Soups and the Legion are walking through the abandoned factory and Soups got his hand on his chin. Soups is thinking. And while Soups is thinking, Brainy's saying their adventure isn't over, that their friends are still captives in the other Smallville and Superboy may be coming after the remaining members of the Legion. Superman doesn't know how to take this. All this is blowing his mind. He hasn't even tried to ever travel through time using his own power. He says whoever this Superboy is, he might be stronger than Superman. Because if this kid is going to come here without the time bubble that you're using of his own power, we should really be worried. He sounds like he's stronger than I am. And in the next panel we see Superman and Brainy, they're whipping their heads around. They both have shock on their faces. As someone says from off panel, count on it, air quotes, Superman. And nobody knows what's going on. And before anybody can react, we see in the final panel, 
all of them bathed in a red glow, and Brainy is saying, the stasis ray, and Block saying he can't move, and all of them are staring up and to the right of the panel. This next page, we get a full page out of just random ads. It's mainly comics, it's mainly bodybuilding, it's mainly self-defense, all the things that little boys want to do. Well, they'll read comics, get muscles, kick butt. That's the order that you follow as a fan of comic books. I say this from personal experience. So that's all that's going on on this page. We turn the page and there's an ad for another DC hero. This time, it's a guy called Silverblade who is apparently an actor turned real world swordsman. He's got a fencing sword, a rapier, right? A epier, epier, epee, epee, good. You no comprend pas. But anyways, this Silverblade, he's got a fencing sword. He's got on armored sleeves and leggings. He's got on brownish orange boots with the matching top. He's got on a blue cape and damned if he doesn't look exactly like Bruce Wayne. This comic seems interesting. I'm going to find out more about him after this, but right now, we move on to the final page. And on this final page, we see Superboy. He's standing on the roof of the quarry factory. It's great art because he does have the youth in his face our older Superman doesn't possess. He's got his right fist clenched at his side, he's holding the stasis ray gun with his left, and he's staring down into the factory, and he's saying, yes, it's me, and you've got to know how much I hate having to do this, but I have no choice. You must die, Legionnaires, so that the whole universe can live. And that's the end of the issue. Superboy has trapped Superman and apparently all of the Legion of Superheroes. And if what he's saying is true, he may have gone ahead and killed four members of the Legion. We get a caption box saying this adventure will continue in Action Comics number 591. And that brings this issue to a close. We have a letters page, but I didn't find anything too comical or amusing or insightful in that. Not that there wasn't anything, but just not to me, not worth sharing. So we get two pages of comic pages, but on the final cover page of the comic, we get a memorial to E. Nelson Bridwell from a name I know from the Tom vs. The Flash podcast, Dick Giordano. Dick says Bridwell was a fantastic scripter and a storehouse of comic book knowledge who helped expand upon and create new depths of the DC universe. So I say to the immortal, E. Nelson Bridwell, through history, thank you for your contributions to the technicolored world of comics. I hope you're resting in peace. And this brings us to the end of the bonus episode. I know things are looking grim for Supes and Co, but if you know anything about the Man of Steel and anything about the Legion of Superheroes is that they always manage to pull that W out in the end. This is another one of those comics that I can't remember where I got it from, but love very much. I know I got it after I began my Legion of Superheroes collection of volume five. And I know this because iKid was, as I said, one of my favorites. And it blew my mind that he was once a black kid. I've added the image of the Fantastic Four John Burns cover that inspired the cover of this issue in the show notes. Tell me who you think wore it best. Thank you so much for being patrons. I could not do this without you. And even if I could, I would not want to. Community is everything to me. So thank you again so much for being a part of my community. And until next time, please think of the world and please remember that with great power, you know already. Make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.